What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Rewired Soul podcast. And in case you didn't get the memo, uh, for the month of June, I'm doing two episodes a week. So usually I up, uh, upload an episode on Wednesday, but I'm testing out Wednesdays and Fridays because I have so many awesome episodes and uh, recorded already with so many interesting authors on so many subjects. So anyways, this is the second one of the week, and it is with the phenomenal Ann Janzer. All right. So Ann Janzer, not only, you know, is she an author, but she writes books to help people write. Now check this out. Okay. So me personally, I uh, fell in love with her books because I am a self-published nonfiction writer. I've written and self-published five books, mainly on mental health, addiction recovery. Uh, you know, um, if you're the loved one of someone who struggles with addiction, how you can help and all that stuff. And I also wrote a book about my experience being canceled back in 2019 on YouTube. So that's, that's how I found Anne's work, but check it out. Like, even if you're listening to this and you are not an author, like this is such an important conversation. Like, I am a true believer, and this is something I'm even teaching my son and I talk to other people about too. It's so important that we know how to write, that we know how to persuade, how we know how to get our thoughts and ideas across. Like, think about how often we have to, you know, communicate through email uh, with our with our bosses, with our coworkers, or, you know, when we have an idea or when we're doing a presentation and, you know, we have to sell people on this idea, right? And Anne, her, her background and her wisdom comes from years of, you know, writing like uh, sales and marketing content. But now, you know, uh, how I found her books is she's really into like the psychology of how to write and how to, you know, be understood with your writing. And she's really into the psychology of it. And, you know, that's that's one of my things. So I, I really love it. But it's so important. Like think about how, how often we communicate digitally with friends, family members, whether it's through email, text, social media, right? So we're all writing on a daily basis. So that's why I think these conversations are so important. But on the other hand, you might be somebody like me who's just, you know, you like to write, you know, uh, and you might be interested in writing. And like I mentioned, self-publishing is a thing. Uh, you know, a lot of us need, you know, quote unquote, side hustles and things like that. So this might be a, a great conversation for you as well, whether you're thinking about, you know, uh, self-publishing your own book or starting a blog or whatever. This is, you know, a great person to talk to about how to write and get your ideas across. Like Anne has taught me so, so, so much. I love her books and I'm excited about this conversation. But before we get started, before I introduce you to the wonderful Anne Janzer, if you're new here and you're listening on Apple, make sure you subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review. And this is because this is a newer podcast. We're trying to get the word out and that really helps the algorithm. Same thing on Spotify if you go follow over there. Uh, and if you think the episode's good or interesting that some of your friends or family members might like, share it on social media. All this stuff really helps out. It gets the word out there about this, this podcast because I have so many authors who are already been on and are coming up and everything like that. So we're trying to trying to spread the word. We talk about a lot of awesome books and we learn some very cool things and how we can make better decisions and, you know, apply it to our daily lives and all that stuff. But anyways, anyways, my my intros are way too long sometimes, but but you guys deal with it because you love me, right? So <laughs> anyways, without further ado, I want to introduce you to the amazing, the fantastic, the wonderful Ann Janzer.
Hello, Anne, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We've we've been talking for a while, ever since I I fell in love with your books and you know all your wisdom and learning how to become a better writer and all that stuff. So I'm glad you were able to come on. So first first question. So. When I when I first started taking my nonfiction writing seriously, I found your books and you know, like everybody knows and I've been saying, like I became absolutely obsessed. And something I, you know, I realize and something I try to teach, you know, my son and other people and all that is, you know, whether we're writing nonfiction books or just writing blogs or even social media posts, right? Like the issue of authority is something that I think about quite a bit. This is something that I've thought about, you know, just as a YouTube content creator when I was talking about, you know, mental health or, you know, with the content when I try to educate people about the things that I'm learning. I think about, you know, authority. How do I develop that trust? And that's something that you talk about in your books. So in your opinion, what are some of the best ways a person can assert their authority so people pay attention? You know, like I'm not a licensed professional, even though I'm coming up on nine years sober next week and I've overcome, you know, my struggles with depression and anxiety and trauma. I'm not a licensed professional. So when you compare me to other people who are licensed professionals and, you know, they have that type of experience through schooling and all that, how does someone like me or anybody else out there who's trying to get their opinion taken seriously assert that authority? Your question really gets to an interesting distinction between expertise and authority. And I wrote about this in my most recent book, Get the Word Out. Expertise is what you know and know how to do. Um, and so that's fundamental to you. And you control how much expertise you have in a subject, of course, based on how much you learn and research and know. Authority is your ability to influence other people with your writing or your speaking. So authority is earned. Authority is granted from your audience. Now, in many situations, we will give authority to or grant authority to people who are not credentialed experts. Like I I read Malcolm Gladwell. Um, I read what he has to say about different things because I know he researches them, even though he's not a licensed professional or a PhD in the specific topics that he writes about. He has earned his authority by doing the research, by earning my trust, and by explaining things really, really well. So I think that your path, even though you're not a licensed professional, you are clearly someone who has a lot of personal experience, who has a lot of curiosity, and does a lot of research. And when you use that to serve your reader, you will earn authority. Yeah, and that that makes a lot of sense, too. It's this thing that's that's kind of earned, right? Like personally, I've had some people who have been following me for a long time now and, and I've built and developed that trust. And, you know, I was thinking as you answered that, um, I've had, you know, different guests on where we talk about being skeptical of science and things like that. And I think it's, it also has to do with, like you mentioned with Malcolm Gladwell, after a while that trust is kind of earned right like are they giving me proper information do other people agree with this do other people with authority or expertise agree with this and that's that's kind of how we develop that that trust so so yeah so what i'm thinking is it's kind of you know it's one of those things where you just got to be patient and yeah i guess i guess we got to earn it um 
so yeah, so the other thing I was thinking about is 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 how many books I read, right? Uh, sometimes I, I find myself, you know, citing just a, a ton of studies in my writing for credibility. And I've read so many books and blogs where people, it feels like they cite way too many studies and it seems to kind of dilute the content a little bit and the arguments. So how would you recommend someone balances, you know, their own, you know, personal opinions or arguments along with, you know, these different studies that they're trying to include to establish that, that credibility and that research that we were just talking about. The right balance of sources and opinions and personal experience depends, of course, not just on you and the topic, but the reader. What, what do they need? What do they need to hear? Um, nobody needs to hear 10 supporting studies for a single point. They just need to trust that you have done the research. So when you're writing for a broad audience, go ahead and do the research. Go ahead and put it in a bibliography or an endnotes so that those who are more interested can see where your ideas are supported. Um, but don't flood the reader with them. It makes you look insecure and it makes the reader want to start skimming because frankly, it's it's boring. That That's that's hilarious because that's that insecurity that you just mentioned, that's literally what I'm thinking when every paragraph or so I'm like, oh, and this, you know, this, this doctor or psychologist or professor or philosopher or whoever, you know, they, they say this and, you know, I'm throwing in quotes and citing studies and all that. And I'm like, am I coming off like I don't know anything? Am I just kind of creating this like kind of hodgepodge of you know, studies and research and everything like that. And that's actually something, um, you know, I'm, I'm learning a, a bit more about through having conversations with people like yourself and other authors is, you know, that there's a great thing called, you know, like these, these footnotes or, you know, a whole bibliography where you could cite these sources for the people who do want to see that stuff. Because that's something I kind of realized too, is that there's some people where depending on, who they are and their personality and how much they trust and everything like that. Some of them could just kind of look at your stuff and say, okay, I, I trust you, but there's other people who are a bit more skeptical and they're like, all right, where are you getting these numbers from? Where do you get these studies from? And they might actually go back there. So, so when, yeah, I guess when we're writing to a broader audience, that, that totally makes sense is to just kind of separate that. So I am personally going to try that. And so, Something um, I think about while I'm reading, you know, all these nonfiction books is that, in my personal opinion, is I feel that, you know, some of the best authors, some of the best nonfiction writers, when they have arguments or strong opinions, what they do is they try to argue against their own thesis. And it seems like this is extremely rare and many authors, they, they kind of get caught up in their own biases. So do you have any tips or advice on how an author can be mindful of their own biases while writing and how they can present stronger arguments, whether it's through, you know, arguing against their own opinion and pointing out those, because I guess, you know, one of my main concerns too is if I argue against myself, it's weakening my argument. There are two things that we can do as writers to strengthen our arguments by understanding the potential objections to them. And probably in this order, the first thing 
is that we need to think about the perspective of the different readers and actually challenge ourselves to come up with what those objections or questions might be. One way that's kind of fun to do this is to do a free writing exercise. Pretend that you are a reader who is maybe not super receptive to the thing that you are writing. So pretend to be that writer and that reader and write yourself a letter with all of your questions and objections. How would you begin a fruitful conversation with yourself? So this is a really, this is an exercise in cognitive empathy or perspective taking. So that's the first thing to try. But of course, it's really hard. It's really hard to know what other people's objections are and to see beyond our own biases. So of course, the gold standard is number two, to enlist other people to give you feedback. You can do this early in the writing process by bouncing ideas off of people and having those conversations. You can do this, of course, by observing and, and reading dialogues online. And you can do this later in the writing process by asking uh, editors and beta readers to look and challenge you or to make a comment about where they went, hmm, I'm not so sure about that. Um, so it's hard to get out of our own heads, but it does make the work stronger. So it's good to make part of your writing process. I absolutely love that. I, I love that idea of that free writing exercise. Um, and I think, you know, that not, that's not only good for writing, but it's also, you know, when we're having discussions or debates with other people, it's good to take that other perspective. And that's actually, you know, something that you talk about in, in your books on, uh, you know, something I, I always take into consideration is you talk about kind of that psychology of perspective taking, right? What questions are these people going to ask? Who's reading this? How are they going to feel? What are they going to be thinking? And, you know, not only does that help with your writing, but it helps you with your arguments and, and all that. And yeah, that's something I'm, I'm trying to get better about is, uh, getting uh like peer feedback and you know i'm the type of person who loves tough love and that's how i improve i want someone to just rip it apart i guess one of my concerns is like i don't want to bug people and be like hey you know use your free time to help me out and all that stuff but that that's just a personal insecurity thing that i'm sure many of us struggle with but i definitely do have some uh some people who I could turn to and be like, hey, wanna look over this? Like, what, you know, what do, what do you like? What do you dislike? Uh, is there anything that you could tear apart in my argument or my opinion, you know, that I'm not thinking of or or missing? And and yeah, so so yeah, I think that's that's super helpful in just like a wide range of things and not just writing, it's, it's even the conversations that we have. But speaking of biases, sometimes it's it's difficult to reach certain readers. For example, I love, 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 love books on critical thinking and skepticism. And when reading these, I wonder how a conspiracy theorist would respond to these claims. I think that, you know, some authors handle this better than others. And I, I'm always trying to, you know, break it down and learn from them and see how they do it. But when when writing to persuade someone to change like a deeply held opinion what do you think the main challenges are 
right? Like if I was writing about, you know, a political topic or if I'm trying to, you know, even sway my, my coworkers, we've, we've been doing something a certain way for so long. And, you know, I'm writing an email or putting something together, you know, uh, what are, what are some of the main challenges that, that we're going to face? And what do you think the most effective way is to approach people who may dislike what you're saying or disagree what you're saying because it's bumping up against some of their strongly held beliefs. So there's a big difference between preaching to the choir and writing to reach people who really don't necessarily agree with you, especially especially when those agreements are somehow linked to deeply held beliefs, important beliefs that have something to do with their identity. Um, so I dedicated a chapter of writing to be understood to this very topic, which is writing for the difficult audience. I'll just give you three tips here. One, first, understand very clearly the boundaries of your own beliefs and where they may or may not overlap with someone who disagrees with you. And for this, I suggest you take a look at a book called The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt, where he talks about these moral beliefs, these deep beliefs, as moral taste buds. I think that's such an interesting analogy. It lets us separate it from judgment. Second, when you're writing about these topics, be really careful not to lead with data to try to prove the reader wrong. Nobody wants to be proven wrong. So leading with, here's all the reasons I'm right, is just a losing proposition. Better, much better, to lead with a story that makes people see something from a different perspective maybe they hadn't seen before. Stories can actually open the doors to these kinds of changes of opinions because they link us to what we share in common. They, they find our commonalities. They help us see how we are actually linked and connected with other people. And third, when you are doing this kind of writing, recognize that you are not going to succeed 100% of the time. You are not going to convince everybody, and that's okay. You still need to respect your reader, and you hope that they respect you. You are successful if you have somehow engaged in a respectful dialogue with this reader, and if they have somehow been present with that, then you have been successful writing about a difficult topic or for an audience that is that is entrenched. Anne, 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 this, this is why you are just one of my favorites. <laughs> I love it so much. Uh, yes, for everybody listening, grab the book, uh, The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. I actually just recently reread it, but... I think, you know, this kind of goes back to what we were we were discussing too, that kind of perspective taking. And I personally picked up the righteous mind when I was I was trying to understand, right? Uh, I was trying to understand how do people have such different beliefs, right? Like uh, you know, a lot of his his book is about, you know, just kind of uh uh political, like conservative morals versus liberal morals and right. And, you know, we all we all think that we're right. We think we're we're good. We think we're making the the correct moral choices. But I wanted to understand, you know, why is that? Why do we disagree? And I just started reading a ton of books, starting with his on just moral psychology, moral philosophy, and all that. And yeah, it is it has increased my perspective taking 
so, so, so much. I can't even explain it. That's why I, I read it again. But yeah, we, we often forget, you know, people who come from different backgrounds, the different aspects playing in their story. And something I could talk to you about in a whole nother conversation is something I've noticed is that it seems that, you know, writers, YouTube creators, podcast hosts, you know, news outlets, they, they, they kind of preach to the choir, right? They, they, when they do this, they make fun of the opposite side. They make fun of the people who have that opposing view. And I, I think, you know, the audience enjoys that because it, it plays into that confirmation bias and all that. So I don't, I don't really think that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, uh, uh, content that is trying to get people to think about other points of views and perspectives and maybe question their, their own beliefs and all that. So, we don't see a lot of people who are taking that into consideration. Like you said, like people don't like to be proven wrong. You know, uh, it took me many years to uh, kind of do what we were talking about just a minute ago is I, I try to find the best arguments against something I believe or an idea I have. I want to see what the opposing side says. Uh, even during the elections, I'm like, okay, you know, even though I don't follow the other side regularly, I, I want to see what their criticisms are because you will find some things that maybe your bias is missing. But anyways, like I said, I could talk, I could talk about that all day with you, Anne. So maybe we'll do this. <laughs> maybe we'll do this again and have another conversation on that. Uh, but yeah, so, so the last question I have for you is is something that I, I absolutely love about your writing, and I mentioned this earlier, uh, even in the intro, is how much I respect the, the field of psychology and how much you intertwine that with your writing and teaching people how to become better writers. So based on your experience, in, in your opinion, what do you, what do you believe are some of the most important psychological theories that every author should know about and be aware of as they're writing, whether it's, you know, books, blogs, emails, what should they be taking into consideration from a psychological standpoint? Oh, gosh, there are so many. I just love this part of writing, the, the psychology of it. Um, so I'll just share with you three of the most important. One is the curse of knowledge which is simply a way of saying that it gets very hard for us to remember what it was like not to know something that we know. And I think that the more your knowledge on a subject, the stronger that curse is, the harder it is to see beyond what we know and to remember what it was like not to know what that word meant or what this theory meant. So the curse of knowledge is something that we nonfiction writers in particular battle with all the time. Um, and editors and others can help us with that. Another one is the idea of a cognitive burden. So if you are giving your reader's brain a lot of extra work to do, you can end up overloading their cognitive capacity. <laughs> and so I want my reader's brains to be focused on the content that I'm providing. I want them to be thinking about the ideas. So I want to be really careful that the words as they read them, they don't get stuck on the middle of a sentence that goes nowhere. I don't use words that are unfamiliar to them that add to that cognitive burden. I don't even make my 
page too crammed with text so that visually they're working harder. We want to relieve the cognitive burden that is unnecessary so that all of our readers' mental processing capacity can go into the point that we're trying to make. So think about cognitive burden as you write and try to make your writing as easy to understand and consume as possible. And three is the idea of incubation. And this is maybe one of my favorite parts of writing. I think productive writers know that a lot of the work that happens, a lot of the important work, doesn't happen when we're sitting at a keyboard or with a pen in our hand. It happens in the background with our subconscious associative thought processes when we're doing something else, like taking a walk. And when you start to learn how incubation works in your creative process, you can incorporate it into your daily life. And you'll find that you will become much more creative and much more productive as a writer. Um, you'll have a lot more fun if you can learn to make the most use of incubation. And the name for the psychological theory is the incubation effect. So you can look that one up. All right. Thank you so much, Anne, for coming onto the podcast. And I think that's a great way to end this episode. The, the, the curse of knowledge is something that I, I read an entire book on, and it's something I, I try to remember. And it's, it's, it's so hard to counteract that sometimes. But anyways, anyways, I hope everybody enjoyed that episode. That was Anne Janzer, and she has written a ton of books. Specifically in this episode, uh, we were discussing uh, ideas and topics from her book titled Writing to be Understood, What Works and Why, but she has written a ton of books. She has one called The Writer's Process, and that really helped me with writing books, but also with other things like my blog posts and my emails and presentations. I used to be so unorganized, but Anne uses this analogy of like baking bread and having ingredients, and I think about it literally every time I write, and she talks about that in the writer's process, but she has other books. She has some on like subscription marketing, um, the, the workplace writer's process, you know, like so many good books, and she has a brand new book out called Get the Word Out, write a book that makes a difference. And yeah, she has been promising me for a while and sending me updates because she's doing an audio version of this. You know how much I love audio versions. But anyways, all of her books, every last one of them will be linked down in the description below, as well as her, uh, her Twitter. So make sure you're following her on there. Again, she is such a great person and resource if you're trying to improve your writing in any way, shape, or form. And she does a lot of other content as well. And she's always, uh, you know, posting it and sharing it on Twitter and stuff like that. So make sure you're following her. All right. So again, a huge, huge thank you to Anne, not only for coming on the podcast, but for helping me become a better writer. And for everybody listening out there, uh, if you liked the episode, don't forget, if you're on Apple, make sure you subscribe. Leave a rating, leave a review that helps get the word out. Uh, if you're on Spotify, follow it and and share the episode. Go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, whatever your platform of choice is. Go share this episode. Help get the word out. We're a newer podcast. And yeah, we, we, we talk about all sorts of cool stuff that, you know, 
people people will enjoy so i know you know somebody who might dig this and if you want to support uh the podcast in any way there's links down in the description uh like i mentioned i i've written some books those are on my website therewiredsoul.com mental health is a huge huge part of my life so there's also an affiliate link down below for better help online therapy which is a service i have personally used and absolutely loved it and if you're not yet make sure you're following me over on instagram and twitter at the rewired soul um i have a really cool project that i'm kind of working on so you don't want to miss it so make sure you follow me on social media all right so anyways that's all we got for this episode uh next week next week you better be tuned in because not only am i turning the big three six on my birthday of june 23rd but i will be nine years sober from drugs and alcohol and i have a very very cool guest for my birthday Wednesday's episode. So make sure you don't miss that. All right. But anyways, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode with Anne and I will see you in the next one.